0: I so honored for me to announce to, present to you, Daniel Lee from Vision Arkansas. Yeah. Alright, that's what I'm talking about. I'm Daniel and I'm an alcoholic. because if you leave, you die. And uh, my sobriety date is August 8th of 98, and for that, I'm extremely grateful. And if you're uh, a little burnt like I am, or maybe you've got a real short attention span like I do, that's probably the most important thing I'll say all night. And uh, so, yeah, let's have a dance. Let's go. let Thanks, but, uh, but that, that's real important to me. And uh, I hope everyone here has a sobriety day. Because there's two things. You know, the first thing is I never, ever want to forget what it was like on that day, August 8th. You know, or I stand a chance of going back there. And uh, and the other thing is, you know, the fact that I hadn't had a drink or any, any mind-offering substances since that day proves to me this program works. It proves it to me. And, uh... It also proves to me there is a loving God that that cares about me, you know, and that's a huge deal. Oh, man, I'd like to thank the committee. Thank the whole bunch. (laughs) Uh, I got to say, I absolutely love Alcoholics Anonymous. I love this convention with all my heart. Uh. But you know they they asked me to speak, and I was like, "Why me?" You know, I, it's like we got this thing in my home group. This tradition: you don't ask a home group member to speak as a home group because they've already heard all your bullshit. And uh, and but you know, as, as we're thinking about praying about it and everything, you know, it's it's God's writing the script. I ain't writing the script. So I'm here, and, and uh, if there's any newcomers who've never seen me, never heard me, uh maybe I can. Say something. and Would you please raise your hand? And we'll go out on the porch and have this meeting.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: really All right. Like I said, I'm I'm a little burnt. Uh, I I was real burnt when I got here. Alcohol and and, and some drugs really messed my brain up. And uh, but I've always talked real slow my whole life, so I'm not going to say very much. But uh, you know, I. I probably talked for like three or four hours, or so. But, uh, I do have a clock. I think, yeah, okay. um, but anyway, just try to bear with me. Maybe we'll get a hick interpreter around here or something. But, uh, so I, I'm supposed to share in a general way what I used to be like, what happened, what I'm like now. Uh, alright. So who all was there for the tree cutting incident the very first thing this morning? Okay. okay. So y'all know, I, I put the damn chain on the chainsaw backwards. All right? Now this is not the first time I've done something ass backwards. And uh, as a matter of fact, my mother and father's here. Uh, she can attest to it. I was born ass first, literally. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I was a brief baby. Uh, and of course, I don't remember it, but you can talk to my mom; she'll fill you in on the details. But I literally, the ass came out first, and I've been ass backwards ever since. You know, I, I had a little, uh, you know, kind of messed my legs up or whatever. Had to be the first little four jump braces. So I, I don't remember it, you know, for, for a little while, a year or so. But,
1: but that turned out all right, didn't I? Yeah.
0: You know. Okay. Uh, first thing that I can remember from my childhood is being pissed off at my sister. I got a, an older sister. She's like the bossier type sister. And, uh, like, we live out in the country and there's no neighborhood pack of kids. That, you know, it was just me and her. And so when it was playtime, you know, we had to play what she wanted to play, by God. And uh, so I ended up having to play, like, all this girly crap, like, tea party and restaurant. And, I, you know, I would have much rather just been out in the yard digging a hole or, you know, whatever other uh, little boys do but but uh, you know, I I started getting resentments early on and, and uh, but the, main, the main thing about my childhood that, I, that sticks out to me and then I'll move on is I had a whole lot of anxiety as, as a child. Uh, you know, I I had this knot in my gut from grade school on, you know and, I don't know if other normal kids have any of that. I know I had it bad. It was so bad that, uh, you know, and again, Mom and Dad, I, I keep referring to Mom and Dad. Help, Mom and Dad's here, half my damn home group, all these people, you know, people could tell my story better than I could and a lot faster that are in this room. So uh, if y'all get sick of listening to my ass, just, to, like, knock me over the cliff and we'll get one of them. But anyways... Okay, it got... It, man, I almost let something slip there. But, uh, got to watch out, because we know somebody going to listen to this on tape in the morning that couldn't be here. I would just like to say for Mark <coughs> <or> and <coughs> Robert, uh, that I am dressed in a suit and tie at behind the podium. Please picture that in your brain. But, uh, anyway, sorry, you couldn't be... Okay. at bank... The so, uh, the anxiety was so bad it was not in my gut. By like fourth or fifth grade, I actually went to the doctor, I believe, uh, over this, and you know nobody knew. You know, just give this boy a fist of Jim Beam and straighten right up. You know, uh, but anyway, you know, and I felt different than and apart from like every other age speaker you over here. hear. Uh, so, anyways, that was childhood. I rock along. I want to skip a bunch of the drunk log tonight because uh, I want to talk about the cool stuff, which is sobriety. But uh, I got to talk about something here first. This would be like, you know, I may share a few opinions tonight, and just like take what you want, leave the rest, whatever. But I, I did some things in my drinking career that were drugs. Okay, we didn't, we didn't. Uh, we didn't. We We, didn't, we didn't call them outside issues back then. And uh, when I got sober, I went to a lot of speaker meetings. Now I heard this term, and I did outside issues. I grew outside issues. I I ran them up my my nose, up my veins. I smoked these outside issues. I I, I, I put them in different orifices and. Right. and it's outside issues outside issues i'm like what the hell is man if i would have known what that shit was man, i would have I done that you know why didn't anybody tell me and uh like i said i was really burnt. so i mean so if there's any newcomers uh here tonight that are having problems with i don't know if i'm the only person that had problems with stuff like that but uh man but let me just clear it up it's cold outside issue equals drugs okay so i I don't feel the need to say outside issue. Actually, drugs is a shorter word, so we'll get done it. But, uh, but anyways, you know, an outside issue. Me, I get real confused about that because it's like outside issue. I think like issue, like slavery or abortion or like the like whatever politics or religion. You know, I'm like an issue. But anyway, that's all I'm gonna say about that. Let's move on. Uh, I, uh, my first drunk, okay, I had, I had done a lot of drugs before my first drunk, but my first drunk, I got, I got to talk about that. And let me just say, after talking about outside issues and drugs and all that, that I respect this podium, I, I respect Alcoholics Anonymous, and I, and I will identify myself as a real alcoholic, you know, because that's what this is about. So, uh, anyways, I might be going to need some more of that. Uh yeah, that's Ozarka, I don't Okay, all right. Uh I the first drunk me and, and buddy had a fist of gym beam and I I'd never drank whiskey before. i would had beer a few times but never enough where I could drink all I wanted, you know. And uh we had this fist of gym beam and we started drinking it just straight, no chaser. And uh after about the fourth or the fifth big gulp, this feeling came over me, you know and uh it was just this perfect buzz and i mean and the thing was the big big thing was i no longer had that knot in my gut i you know i didn't care you know i I just started high school at the time everybody messed with me because i went to high school catholic high school for boys in little rock and i'm from like well out in the country in saline county and like everybody messed with even my teachers you know with, you know because uh, of the way i talk and stuff and, and i'm like look y'all live in arkansas too you know shit but uh but anyways i when i when i drank that first time i didn't care about any that who cares what these people think and i felt okay in my own skin for the very first time that i can remember you know now I, I had some really happy times as a child and i and i probably was all right in my own skin as a child but but this is the first time i could remember in a long time and and what I realized today is I like, you know, I, I reached the perfect level of being messed up, right? And hopefully you all know what I'm talking about. I had reached the perfect level where everything is perfect. I got the perfect buzz. I got no worries. You know, I'm okay with myself. I'm okay with my buddy and what we're doing. And and it was perfect. And so what did I do? My brain says If this is perfect. Just think about what one more drink would do. So I drank the rest of the bottle blacked out, ran around screaming like an idiot out in the woods, did a bunch of stupid stuff, and didn't remember any of it. And, uh, came to the next morning thinking, you know, I don't know what happened last night, but it sure was good. And, uh, and I just set the stage for my drinking career. That's how I drank. And, uh, anyways, uh, so I, like I said, I'm not going to tell a bunch of stories. There's a lot of weird stories I can tell you about you know, being tracked across Lake Washington by a beer can trail and getting busted on some shit and smoking cigarettes hogtide and county jail. And, uh, but we can talk about that after the meeting, but uh, my, I, just let me tell you about what my daily routine was the last few years or whatever, my drinking. I would come to it in the morning. And run to the window to see if my truck was outside wherever I came to because I didn't remember. That most, a lot of times I didn't even know where I was, and uh, but I'd see if my truck was there. A lot of times it wasn't, you know. And and uh, and I, I was a serious blackout drinker. I'm talking about at least ninety percent of the time I drank, I blacked out because it was just insane the phenomenal craving and the and the physical allergy. I, I mean, it was not only could I not stop once I started; I, it was like I had to drink it as fast as I could for some reason. But uh, but anyway, so I would uh, find my truck, figure out what day it is, do I need to be at work? You know, find if I got any, any any alcohol left or any drugs to get my head right for the day. You got to get started off right, you know. And I would spend the whole day getting high, doing things, going to work, and and trying to figure out what I did the night before. And then thinking to myself, and this is every single day, okay? And thinking to myself, why did I get so messed up last night? Because I didn't plan on getting that messed up. And tonight, maybe I won't get that messed up. Maybe I won't get messed up at all tonight. You know, like, it'd be good to take a night off, you know? So uh, so that's what I've been thinking. And I was, I was working construction, and i get off work. Everybody I worked with drank. My boss drank. Somebody always had a couple of ice cold beers, you know, and they'd give me this beer, and, uh, and you've got to drink them, you know, uh, because you, you deserve it. Uh, you put in a hard day, I was, I was talking sheetrock, stocking sheetrock, if anybody's ever done that, it's some, uh, lots of fun, but, uh, but, anyways, you deserve it because you work hard, so I drank these couple beers, alright, and, uh, you get them in me. And then I, I that plan I'd made earlier in the day about not drinking tonight, we just go out the window and I start making new plans like, okay, here's the deal. Okay, I live in a dry county. it would drive about 20 minutes to the liquor store. So I'm going to go up to the liquor store, get me a 12 pack and just, you know, chill out, smoke some pot, drink a 12 pack. Cause I, I had a very large tolerance for alcohol and a 12 pack was just enough to take the edge off. You know, it didn't get me drunk. And, and I was going sure to mellow out tonight. Not gonna go to jail, not gonna wreck anything, not gonna embarrass myself and that'd be my plan, you know, and I, and, it, and it was nice it was like I always and I loved the speaker last night, Danielle, talking about the delusion. That's what it is. I believed the lie. I believed the lie that I could drink and get to that perfect level and stop. And then just maybe drink enough after I got to the perfect level to maintain that perfect level forever. You know, that was like my plan. And it never worked out. I had to start over every day, you know, but that was, I mean, that was the whole goal of my life was to get to the perfect level and stay there. But it was like, I get to the perfect level and just like fly around past it every day. But, so anyways, I get in the truck and head to the liquor store, and I live in Benton, all right? So many of y'all are familiar with that area. I guess about Bryant, my brain be tell me, you know, you might as well get a case of beer because, uh... That way, you want it to come back tomorrow. You know, I get up at Alexander about to take the exit, and I'll be thinking, you know, I got these thirty packs now. You know, what well, well, if one of my buddies wants a beer? You know, I don't want to be a, I want to be a butthole. You know, and, uh, so I, and I always came out of, came out of the liquor store with a bunch of beer and a big jug of because so that's what I really like, and it's gonna last me like three or four days. And, uh, and if y'all drank like me, you know what happened, you know, I, that non-arm craving kicked in, and it was just impossible for me to stop, you know, unless I got locked up, passed out, got knocked out, which, that never even happened. That happened. I got kind of looked up on a little bit a few times, but uh, I only been knocked out one time in my life. I fell off a house about five years ago. Anyway, I I'm real hard-headed, that's the deal, you know, I was, I was born as first with real hard head, so, uh, anyway, so that, that was my routine, and, and it was every day, and so you can imagine the problems this created, I'm not even going to go into detail, you know, problems with the family, problems with work, you know, even though it was a drink and drug friendly workplace, uh, you know, it it got crazy, and, and I just, I just couldn't hold it together, so, what happened was, uh, let's see, it was summer of 98, you know, I, I had a lot of problems like every alcoholic, and what happened was the alcohol quit working, and hopefully y'all know what I mean, but, you know, what I mean by that for me is I had all these issues going on in my brain. These were issues. These were like things you think about and talk, you know, issues. And uh like look at what I'm doing to m- my family, you know. Look at you know, look at all my buddies die, I had a lot of acquaintances die in a real short period of time. Look at all this screwed up shit going around me. and why why am I even here? Why am I and this is all the kind of stuff you start thinking about as an alcoholic and what you do, you go drink. You've got to have that sense of ease and comfort so you don't have to think about that crap. And so that's what I would do. But I couldn't get no eating comfort anymore. And I would drink insane amounts of alcohol trying to get that sense of eating comfort. And the best I could get was slobber and drunk and pass out. And it got so bad that I, you know, I've done the deal. I've gotten drunk two or three times in a day. I've, I've spent two days trying to drink and pass out. You know, it got so bad I got suicidal. But I didn't have the guts to blow my brains out. Thank God. Uh, I tried to get some people pissed off enough to kill me. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm really serious about that. Uh, so my best thinking was, this is what I do. I'll just drink myself to death, okay? Because I know you can do that. I've known people that had done that. So, uh, you know, so I, I set out to do that. And I, I came to on the August 8th of ninety eight after a three-day blackout they turned me loose from jail this one day went on three-day blackout august stayed in 98 uh i came to uh my parents house was destroyed i destroyed it in of rage because there's the end when the alcohol quit working see i've always been a happy-go-lucky drunk but when it quit working it was just non-stop rage or the other extreme like i'm terrified so i'm either like running out into the bushes which I did, because they're after me, or, you know, or I would just, I mean, I'd start stuff with people I shouldn't be starting stuff with, you know, just because they look at me weird. And, uh, anyways, I came through them in August and and I realized that, I, I can't, yeah, three or four of them, man. I'm, a, I've always had a powerful thirst, okay. Uh, but, uh, Anyways, I, I realized I can't even die. I mean, I cannot even die. And I remember I walked outside of the house and I looked up at the sky. It was a beautiful blue sky it was real early in the morning. I said, God, if you're real and really help people, to just let me die on the way to this gas station or give me some kind of help. I had to go and get some cigarettes because I couldn't find any in the house when there was some right there on the coffee table. But uh, I couldn't find them. But uh, I said, God, just please let me die on the way to the gas station, which is like five minutes away, or give me some kind of help. And uh, what happened was I got arrested at the gas station, like ten minutes later. So this say, don't understand on what grounds they charged me with what they charged me with, but that's not relevant. We won't go into that. It's uh, Saline County, you know. Uh. But anyway, anyway, moving right along, but... Uh, i I went to jail and uh it was really really a bad time okay i I was not in a good jail goer there then. ten uh, the last the last week I drank, I went to jail twice right those two times I, while I went to jail and while I was in jail, I was hogged out at least ten times. I'm talking about they would come into the solitary cell to hog tie me, and I'm like, "What can I do in here? You know, what you know, like beat my brain on the wall or something." I would like that, wouldn't you know? Uh, but uh, I was not a peaceable jail goer. But there's end. But anyways, they we weren't on good terms. with that, uh, and they they really wanted me to help them get some people that I was really good friends with and I was having no part of that and they, they played a lot of tricks with my brain and anyway this went on for a long time and it was really 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 bad and I've done a lot of inventory work over this resentment I had uh, towards them but what happened was I, after a day or a day and a half I don't know but see, I've been drinking large amounts of alcohol Okay, you know bearing a, a liter of whiskey every day for months probably bearing and a half gallon for a couple weeks. And, and when they locked me up that day, it just, I stopped, you know, cold turkey. And I got real sick, started having convulsions, uh, had some seizures, and I went unconscious. Uh, I, had, I got a sponsor, had a sponsor a few years ago that gave me a new term for it, the croppy flop. And uh, I, I can relate to that. I don't see him in here, he was here last night, but I can relate to doing some traffic crop clopping, but, uh, a hog died, okay, anyway, okay, so, uh, so I went unconscious for, I don't know how long, could have been a minute, could have been an hour, a day or something, but when I came to, I was in this fog, you know, I didn't know where I was, and, uh, I, I was having these weird hallucinations. Like I've done things that make you say things before, self so, drugs you know, and, and, uh, but, uh, this was, this was like nothing I've ever experienced. This was like some evil stuff, and anyways, I, this, there was a press city. like I said, I was in my home away from home, the solitary cell, but this press looked through the little square window in the door at me and said, and I, I seen and I was like, man, uh, where am I? Because I need to get out of here, and, uh, he told me, "Man, you died, and you're in hell now, and you're never getting out." And uh, and I believe that man. All right. And yeah, it's kind of humorous. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but <laughs> I don't know. I I still can't laugh a lot about that. But that's, that's that's good for me. I'm glad y'all enjoy it. But uh, you know, I uh, I, I honestly. You no, know, I'm not, not kidding. I really, honestly believe that. And uh, and then I was like, hold on. You know, I've been wanting to die, but this ain't so cool, you know. And I, that's where I hit my bottom. Because a few days before that, I had a moment of clarity. You know, like three or four days before that, when I'd been in that solitary cell, I had this moment of clarity that I am screwed, okay? I cannot... I've tried everything I can to manage my life, and I cannot make it. And uh, and uh if there is a God, he's going to have to help me. Because nobody can help me. I knew that no human power could help me. They've tried. So they could lock me up. They could... oh, Just one example, okay? I smoked two cigarettes, a hog-tied one. I'll tell you the whole story if you want to hear that from me. But, I mean, they can't help you. know, And I cannot help myself. If there is a God, he's got to help me. But I didn't ask him for help then. I waited until I came out of that blackout on August 8th. And here I finally broke down and asked God that everybody told me my whole life loves me and cares about me and is there to help me. And now I'm dead and I'm in hell and I'm screwed for all eternity. And, uh, okay, so that's the circumstances of my bottom. But what the bottom really was, was a feeling of 100% hopelessness, okay? And that's what I I share with each and every one of y'all. You know because we all got crazy stories about how we get here. I've never heard anybody tell the same story I, that I've got, and that's no big deal it's just but the the deal is well, you know, I was one hundred percent hopeless of my situation ever improving of me ever being able to live life in any kind of reasonable way, drinking or not drinking or and uh and and I tell you what another thing was it was an awful, awful, lonely feeling, and uh you know, when I got to the rooms, they told me I never have to feel the way I felt when I got here, and I didn't believe that at first, but I believe it now. And thank God for that. Thank God for that. And uh, you know, anyways, so I, I spent about three days in this mindset: I'm dead. I'm in hell. So they let me back into the regular drunk tank and got me some fights. and anyway, but. Anyway, after several days of this, I finally got a little light bulb in my head, you know, maybe these guys were just messing with me, you know. But I knew that if I wasn't dead, I must be dying because my whole body hurt. I couldn't I couldn't eat, uh, you know. I felt like I'd been <clears throat> run over by like a hundred mules or something, you know, just kicked the shit out of me or something, you know. I don't know if any of y'all got experience with the crappie plot, but it, uh, it really messed me up. And I never wanted to get sober again, ever. And uh, so anyway, I, I realized maybe there was nothing. With me, so I started begging for help. I started begging them, you know, let me see a doctor. Let me go to the hospital. Uh, something. Let me give you some kind of help, you know. I, and uh, finally, they let me go. Like an hour before I was going to go up for cleaning arraignment and they were going to keep me with no belt for a long, long time. I probably died, but they let me go with my mom and dad. They've been trying to get me out and, uh, cause they knew how sick I was and, uh, under the condition that I would go directly to detox and I was like, wherever, just give me some help. And, uh, I didn't find this out so much later, but they told my dad if he gets out of the, the Jeep to even smoke a cigarette, you call us and we'll have every cop in Saline County on his ass, okay? And that's my relationship with him. They—they told my parents that I was a menace to myself and a menace to society, you know. And I was gonna run, and uh, but I was through, all right. And I got—I got the detox, the sobering center in Little Rock. Thank God for that place. And I went to sleep, and I woke up, and this woman, you know, I. It's kind of like a lot of y'all have probably been there, but a lot of y'all probably haven't. But it's kind of like, so, you got all these beds. <clears throat> well, even if you've never been like in there for your drinking, you maybe carried the message in there, okay? But, all right. But you got a bed, you got this little curtain you can pull around, and that. And I had my curtain pulled around me, and this I hear this woman's voice, Daniel, Daniel, and the. Got a lamp on the other side of the curtain. I wake up and there's all this bright white light all around me. I'm like, oh, holy shit! You know, and, uh, I have been. I have a strong religious background. Okay, not, I'm not religious today, but I, I grew up in the Catholic Church and going to the Missionary Baptist Church every Sunday. Uh, that's a whole other story, but I. I knew some things about heaven, hell, and purgatory, and uh, and I was thinking, man, maybe I'm in purgatory, you know? That'd be like sweet, because you can get out of that shit, you know? Uh, so I, anyways, I, uh, she said, you need anything, Daniel? And I was like, man, you know, it took me like two or three minutes to answer her. But so I was thinking, what'd you say, you know? what? And uh, I thought, maybe that's what you smoked in purgatory and i said, uh a, a cigarette maybe would be nice and she said well okay you need to get your ass in that room next door that's supposed to be an meeting. i said yes ma'am i'm there all right and that's how i went to my first a meeting i'd never been before didn't know what a it was um anyway I, I went into this room and there was Three members of Alcoholics Anonymous carried a meeting in there, and I'll never forget this as long as I live, I hope I never do, but these guys, and and, I, and from what I understand, they're all three still sober this day, but they carried the message to me, okay, and this is what I, how I was. Alright, I had turned into a nasty drunk, okay, that's all there is to say, that when they weighed me in, I weighed 138 pounds, I had seed kick bites from head to toe from being hogtied tied on a gravel road in August in Arkansas. I had cuts all over my face and upper body from fighting in jail. I probably hadn't bathed in a couple of weeks. Uh, alright, these people from Alcoholics Anonymous shook my hand. <laughs> and told me they were glad I was there. Alright. and that's. You know, it, it it's been a long time since anybody shook my hand. You know, and told uh, me that I was glad I was I was there. But so they carried the message. They talked about themselves, what they used to be like, and how they used to think, and how they used to try to get to that perfect level when they couldn't, and they'd go right, back, right past it. And, uh, and then they. They shared about getting sober and working these 12 steps and Alcoholics Anonymous, you know. And, and, uh, there was just something about it that I'll never forget. These people, I just knew there was something real about them, because who in their right mind would take time out of their busy schedule to come see a sick, nasty, drunk like me and uh and try to help me. And I knew there was something real here, and I didn't know what it was, but, uh, it gave me just enough hope that maybe if I do what these people did, I won't want to die. You know, maybe if it really works like they say it does, I can have a life that's worth living. That's all I was after. You know, and and so that's what I did. I got from there. I went to the freedom center. I went to Spring Park. Thank God for that place. You know, uh, yeah, we got some alumnus up in here. You know, uh, I got down this real quick. I wasn't a messy drunk, but, uh, but anyway, I started working the steps. The first step, uh, all I'm going to say is, it was a relief to finally fi- find out what my problem is. My problem is, I'm just like all these people in AA, I have an allergy to alcohol. When I put one in me, I develop a phenomenal craving, and when I'm not drinking, I'm obsessing about getting that sensation and comfort. So I'm screwed because my brain tells my body my body can do something it physically cannot do. And that's a recipe for death and permanent insanity, you know. And I was a firm believer because I experienced that firsthand. You know, I drank to the gates of insanity or death and I was only 19 at the time, you know. Uh, but it was such a relief, you know. And then I found out, you know, that, that my real problem's in my mind because my body's never going to change. So I got to work these steps So I never get so screwed up in the head that I think I have to take a drink to fix it. And uh, anyways, the third step, I had this experience in the shower one morning. I shared about it last night. But I was like so scared of all this God stuff. Like the last prayer I said before the third step prayer was, God, let me die or give me some kind of help. And I ended up in hell, all right? uh, So I I was scared to death of, of praying the third step prayer because I had seen in my childhood, what happened when people get God in church and stuff, and that was not attractive to me at that time. All right, I was like I said, I was nineteen. I was a heathen, and you know, I was like I wasn't all about it, going to building huts in Ethiopia and handing out Bibles at the airport. But uh, I was, like sure, I said, but I had a, I reached a turning point. Okay, just like it says in how it works, we reached a turning point. My turning point was in the shower one morning. I realized that. I will do anything, not to go back where I just came from, anything, I'll I'll stand on my head on top of the Washington Monument with people planting bombs in it, who cares, you know, whatever I got to do to to get this, you know, whatever these people tell me to do, I will do it, you know, if I have to go build the huts, whatever, whatever. And I made that decision that morning in the shower to go on with the steps. And today, of course, I understand that step a little differently. I'm turning it over to the care of God, as I understand it. Because my will, my life, my thinking and my actions when I got here was all kinds of messed up. I needed a new set of directions. Because my directions were just messed up. And uh, my new set of directions was the steps. So I got got working on the steps. And the, the fourth and fifth step... All right. When they explained to me, who what you do, you take a sheet of paper, you start out with the first column of the resentments, you write down everybody you're mad at, or every institution. At. And I was talking to my first talk about this, and I was like, man, this is going to be so easy. And I pulled this list out of my wallet. I had made it, at some time, the last few weeks or months, of my drinking list, a list of everybody that had to die before I did. And this, and this is actually, this is actually... Something that kept me alive one day, alright. Uh, cause there was one day I really was gonna blow my brains out, but two two things stopped me. One was all the people that had to die before I did, and two was it was about harvest time and I had some pot growing, alright. So, uh, and by the way, I got sober, I didn't get to smoke any of that stuff. My buddy got it off, and uh, but, and thank God it got in time before I had to go to prison for it. Because they know about it. Long story. Anyways, let's get off of that. But, uh, so I, anyway, But I, I made my inventory, my first one. All right, let me explain another thing about the burnt deal. All right, when they, when they took me to detox, my parents, and I hadn't drank or drugged in five days. Okay, I, I love newcomers because I love talking to them, seeing where they're at mentally. I like if the reason even there with us because I wasn't. All right, and they they say that you know about five percent of what I told them made sense. I couldn't talk and make sense, so when I did my first fourth and fifth step, I did the best I could because I did not want to go back where this came from, and it worked. All right, if I looked at it today, I'd probably be like, "This is the biggest piece of crap you've ever seen," but it was the best I could do, and it worked. It kept me sober, and I did the fifth step with my sponsor. You know. And then later in sobriety some things happened where I had to get another sponsor and I got the chance to do it again. And I did it, man. You talk about like thorough and like, I got to get it all out. And and thank God for that. He had a plan to help me out with that. But uh, anyways, these resentments, I had such deep-seated resentments. And there were a few of them that were so hardcore that Just doing the fifth step didn't just make them just go away like a lot of them. And so I had to pray for some people. And I had to actually want to be free of the resentment before I could ever be willing to look at my part, you know. However insignificant my part seemed, I mean, that's the only way I can get freedom. And uh, so I eventually developed that willingness on those few resentments I had that were really exceeded. And then the fear. Man, that's something that I still experience Today, I mean, I still experienced all this today, you know, but not near like it was, but, uh, the sex, okay, uh, Amanda made me promise not to talk about the farm animals, but, uh, <laughs> here, just let me, I'm not going to say it, uh, but here's the deal about the sexual inventory. Thank God they wrote about sex in a spiritual book in, in when, you know, in the thirties. I think it took some guts. And, uh, but I don't know that I'd be sober without it. Alright? And, uh, there were some things I had a lot of embarrassment and shame and remorse about in that area and other areas that I, that I was never going to tell anybody. I was going to take them to my grave. And I told my sponsor these things. And then he turned around and said, man, that's, you know, you're pretty sick, yeah. But, uh, you know, I did some sick stuff like that, like this right here, you know, and he told me that. And I was like, man, you know, that wasn't so bad. And and what I gained from that fifth step experience was another human being in my life that knows everything there is to know about me. All the horrible stuff I was going to take to my grave, and I can trust this person. first person I ever felt I could completely trust. And you talk about some loneliness going away, right? The fifth step promises. You know, a lot of people I've heard share around where I go to AA talk you. Well, anyway, they talk about when they did the fifth step, they felt like took 50-pound feet sacks and then lifted off their shoulders, you know? And I didn't really get that, you know? But I got what it said in the book. I got this stuff where it was, it was like, for the first time I felt like, man, maybe this will work. You know, I got this feeling that maybe there is a God that's going to help me. You know? And then I realized, man, I can look at people in the eye over the next few weeks. And I was like, man, you know, I can I can actually sleep at night without thinking. So anyways, um, set six and seven, let's see how we're doing on time. Oh yeah, we still got about two and a half hours. We're good. But, uh, but anyways, Steph said, I'm not going to talk about ochre or nothing. I, just, I, I got here for the end of a, a Larry's talk, and that was, he said it much simpler and better than I could ever say it, that uh, you know, I've got to be, become willing. I've become willing through the fifth step, seeing how bad my character defects have screwed up my life, and I've become humble because I realize that I cannot change myself self cannot overcome self. You know, I have to have a power-bearer myself. And I say that seven-step prayer, and then I get up and I, and I try to act like that God's removed them. You know, and I try to practice the opposite things for my defective character. So anyways, in the eight and nine, you know, I don't have any, well, I have some cool men's stories. I don't have time to tell them all, but you know, I've done this step, and there's still a few that, that I have to do, but I, I, I would say this, about eight and nine. Two different things. In 2004, I, I attended seven funerals, okay? And I got married to the beautiful woman sitting right here. All right? But let me, let me just say, all right, seven, seven different funerals. Family members, old drinking buddies, people I got sober with best friends in the program, got married, all right? In the year 2004, I believe that I I ran into and met with every person I've ever known. You know, it was like every family member, every old drinking buddy that's still alive or not locked up, all my new friends, you know, everybody. And I did not have to hide one time i didn't have, I could look every one of them in the eye and uh that's that's another huge thing for me you know and that and that's because I've cleaned up the records of my past as best I can you know I, my sponsor told me to pray for the willingness and opportunity to make those amends, and that's what i did and when and when the opportunity came, the willingness was there and uh you know, and the law, okay, I was not on good terms with the law, like I said, and uh they really, really didn't like me, and I didn't give them any reasons to like me, but here's how it was, like they would see me out in public and lock me up, they were sending my drinking, because they knew I was doing something illegal, and uh
1: anyways, but today,
0: I, I got this little construction business, I built houses for like, sergeants on the Sling County Sheriff's Department, and lieutenants, you know, I mean, this is weird, okay? I remember being like three or four years sober, building these houses for these guys, and we did this petition for this guy that locked me up one time, and I'm thinking, man, this is just too weird, all right, and then, you know, I found myself sitting in the sheriff of Saline County's house one day, just me and him, this was about a year ago, talking about building onto his house, and I was just sitting there freaking out, he's like, you want some coffee or Coke or a cold beer or something, I was like, man, you know, and uh. But uh, I was like, some water, you know, get some water, you know. And he was going to get some water, and I was just sitting there freaking out thinking, you know, here I am in the sheriff of Slane County's house with him alone, and he don't have a gun on me, you know. And that's, you know, that's part of that amends process. I've become a more respectable member of society. So anyways, you know, step 10 keeps me in check, you know. Step 11, conscious contact. I had to talk about this. Uh oh, the hamster or whatever the hell it is. Are you falling asleep, buddy? It's all good. Okay, brought we'll you up here I'm talking to you. Yeah. Uh. All right. Conscious, conscious contact. Me and a a sponsor I had one time, and he's in the room. Thank God. Today. We were talking about the 11th step, and I had a lot of problems with that step when I was getting sober and working the steps. And, and he was like, you know, what is conscious contact? I was like, man, I think I know what it is, but let's go ahead and look that up in the dictionary. And it said to be preoccupied with, conscious means to be preoccupied with or to have an awareness of. I was like, man, that like simplifies it so so much you don't even think. It's asking me to seek through prayer and meditation to be preoccupied with my higher power. To be aware of the gifts my higher power has given me and uh and that's so much simpler you know i remember and there might be a few of the people that participated in this in this room but uh you know i talk about this and mean somehow but i mean i got kind of out there in the spiritual meditation field in early sobriety you know uh i know you're going to all that but i have the time but anyways, The 12th step. Alright, the 11th step, I pray for God's will and the power to carry it out. The knowledge of His will for me and the power to carry that out. And my sponsor has told me that the simplest answer to what is God's will for me is the 12th step. Alright, I have had a spiritual awakening and result over these steps. I continue to have that. And when I begin to practice these principles in all my affairs and work with other alcoholics, I'm doing God's will. And it's that simple. I don't have to be all screwed up in the head about these decisions like, should I go to school, should I go to work, should I go, you know, should I live here, should I live there? You know, and, I, and I've been told, you know, that God's more interested in what What am I doing right here in this moment? You know, that way how it works, God, there's one that has all power that one job you find him now. And, and my sponsor always stresses over me. that means right now, you know, right now in this moment, that's where God is so anyways uh i gotta talk about this circle and triangle we got on our show how much time ago but five hours later. okay uh no it ain't that bad really but the circle and triangle we got here in a and the three sides of the triangle are recovery unity, and service and I, I frame houses for a living we always frame the frame the roof in the shape of a triangle because it's the most structurally sound, structured, like if you look at this road, there's triangles everywhere. You know, these trusses got triangles in them, the roots are triangle. You take one side of that triangle out and the whole thing falls down, and uh, that's how my sobriety is. I've got to have recovery through working the steps of my sponsor. I've got to have the unity of being actively involved in a home group. I've got to have the service through actively being involved in general AA service work. And those three things are extremely important to me. You know, like I said, I, I have a huge debt to Alcoholics Anonymous. Those people that came and cared for me when I was nasty. You know, and that's why I take it serious. You know, and so uh, this, this convention, I've got to talk about this a little bit. You know, I had the privilege of going through the Archipelite Committee. And, uh, man, let me just say that God, of my understanding, gives me opportunities to be of service at all times through the day. It, it gives me opportunities to have service commitments. You know, when I when I walk in and take the action and follow through on these opportunities, I get blessed big time, right? What I mean by that is, you know, the result of service, the result of whatever. You know, that's how I met my wife was been on this committee. That's how I met, like, a lot of good friends. You know, there's people in other states that would allow me into their home. You know, I didn't have that kind of stuff when I got here. You know, uh, anyways, I could go on and on about that, but service commitments are real important to me. This, this year, uh, the first of January, I rotated out as alternate DCM of District 8, and I didn't get elected to DCM, and I wasn't upset about that at all, because that meant I got to come to Arquipa instead of the sword or whatever. But, uh, okay. but uh, <clears throat> But anyways, I found myself without... A serious A.A. commitment. Okay. First commitment. And, you know, I, I'm still carrying the message places, are prison in prisons down the but, road. But it just freaks me out. Not to have... Because, I mean, I started out as ship boy. And my home group, and there's some people here that could tell you, they would not let me give that job up for two years. By God, you're going to do two years. You know. And uh, I was like, well, look at this guy. He's a newcomer. He needs something. You no. Know? No. We have commitments. And, uh... So, anyways... A group of the young people here in Central, Arkansas got together and started talking about forming the Icky Paw Big Committee. And I was like, Hell yeah, I'll do it and uh and we had our elections, they elected me chairman. So, uh so now I got a commitment. You know, and it's like and it's just awesome. But uh I gotta talk just a little bit about young people stuff, okay. Um and I, and I was meditating the other day, and I was trying to think, of what was the first young people stuff I went to? All right, when I got out of treatment, I went to a halfway house in Opelousas, Louisiana. All right. I'll drink of that. Okay. Just outside of Lakewood. All right. But anyway, the first uh, young people stuff I remember going to was Friday night and man, I look forward to going to this was uh, what was the name of the group remember it simply sober at the Camel House alright and uh, I'd go up in there and, and see young people having fun and it blew my mind because I thought that I was a freak of nature for being sober at my age and that sobriety was going to be like go, go to work, go to me, go home and lock the doors and hire a garden but, uh, but it, it ain't nothing like that but uh, but then I got back to to Arkansas, and I went to meetings, and there was a guy named Estes that everybody's talked about, and his son, Daniel, and uh, Bart C., and a few other people that said, I would go to these meetings in Little Rock, and they would say, you know, and Estes had a real nice place saying it, but, uh, and so you need to get your state fund cracked headed remember, but I had to the next Arkansas business meeting, and i go, like, okay, man. And uh, but so that's how I got involved in Alcohol, you know, and it was and they and they drew me in, okay. And another thing I got to say about young people's stuff, uh, Icky Paul, Alcohol, all this stuff. The fact, same, and purposes of Icky I don't know if it still says this, but it used to. It said that the purpose is to carry young people into the mainstream of Alcoholics Anonymous through their service. That is the purpose, you know, not so we can get get wild and tear up stuff and, you know, vandalize hotels. You know, it, it, it's still banners. God. But, but anyway, all right, let's not get into that. That's an issue. That's a, that's a, that is an issue, and it's somewhere outside. But, uh, but so anyways, but that, you know, that, that's the purpose of all this. You know, where these people get involved. And that's what my story is. I got involved on Archipel, you know, and then after being a chip boy for two years, they actually trusted me to be alternate GSR, and then I was GSR, and then alternate ECM, you know, so that's what it did for me, you know, and, you know, anyways, that's all I'm going to say. But there are really these young people, and there weren't near as many as there are now in central Arkansas. But these people made it fun, you know, they made it cool to be sober young, you know, like we went swimming into the blue holes, maybe, maybe we didn't have our clothes on, but we went, you know, I mean, we did a lot of fun stuff, and, I, and it was like all these people, like made man, I mean, everybody remembers him, and he made it fun, you know, he, he, all the people, Daniel, and, had a lot of fun with these people, they made it fun for me, you know, and that's why, like now, people say, you know, I get real alcoholic with the fire and stuff like that, but like, man, I, you know that's, that's what it's all about. Just so we can have fun. I mean, I was I was out there smoking right when the mardi gras started. I mean, that just chokes me up every year to see a bunch of a bunch of drunks having so much fun, you know. And we ain't got to be messed up to do it. And it's like we're we're in the moment, you know. We're right here in this moment. We're having fun, and uh. So that's what I try to do, you know. And and, and here's another thing about fun, okay. When I was drinking, my belief was I had to drink, to be, to have fun, to be happy. All right. Now, it's completely opposite. I work the steps. As a byproduct of right living, I get happiness. As a result of that, I can have fun no matter what I'm doing. And let me tell you something. Uh, you can't have fun no matter what you're doing. We have a lot of fun at work. Now, I mean, there's some, there's some, there's some alcoholics that work with me and, uh, some cousins and some that probably need to be with us, but, we have all kinds of fun messing with each other, messing with each other. Let me tell you one thing. I got to get back to something. Uh, mean, being like, this, this, uh, this full circle deal, okay? Like, I was sharing about, like what we going to talk about, it? okay, but, like, when you share in your, uh, store, your fifth step with your sponsor, about all these things that you are horribly ashamed of, and they share with you, and you find out, man, I'm really not that bad, I'm just a sick person, and I can get better. And then you sponsor somebody, and and, and they have a hard time, and maybe they've let something out, and you go, like, well, are there any farm rental stores or anything? And, like, and like here's, here's, like, my most ashamed thing I've ever done, and then... And they're like, whoa, man, I wasn't going to tell you, but look, I did some some of this, you know. And and then you're like, and then it's like, it's like where your most sick, most things I was most ashamed of helped somebody a lot, you know. And, man, some of them are just downright hilarious. I did a up with a guy. God bless him. (laughs) I I laughed my ass off for four or five hours. And I begged him for a year to tell people about some of these things in his fifth step because it was just so funny. I just I just couldn't hold it. I mean, I I'm like, I'm dying here, man. You know, other people need to know. You need to write stories about this or something. Like, I mean, this was some really sick stuff, but it's hilarious. But but now now he's sponsoring people, you know, and he's telling them that stuff, and they get to hear it, laugh about it, and tell them his stuff. You know, it's like. It's just a never-ending change, you know, and, and that's awesome. But anyways, uh, I guess i got to start wrapping it up here. Uh, what is it like now? All right. What is it like for me now? I do the same things to stay sober now as I did my first nine days of sobriety. Okay. The tenth step is very simple and clear. When, not if resentment, self-heat, self-sufficiency, dishonesty pop up. When these pop up, i got four things to do. Talk it over with my sponsor immediately. Make amends to somebody if I owe my amends. Ask God to remove it and turn my thoughts to someone else I can help. That's simple. You know, it's not rocket science. But, and and then, you know, the 11th step. Continuing to seek that awareness of God. And then the 12th step, practice and the principles. I mean, these are simple things. You know, and, and there is no advanced AA. I love, there's a guy, he used to be on last chance meeting, that uh, he would share, you know, he hears people say, you know, i got to get back to the basics. Now, I'm getting in you know, a funk. I need to get back to the basics. And he's like, does that mean that there's like an advanced AA for him? Like you go like from basic to intermediate to advanced, you know. But, uh, but there ain't. You know, all we have is basics. All we have is the first 164 pages in the doctor's opinion. Everything I need to know about how to live a sober life is in there. So, uh, to the newcomers, I would like to say, do not quit before the miracle happens. Expect a miracle. You know, if it can happen for me, it can happen for you. And we share our experience, strength, and hope. My hope is the growth and maintenance of a spiritual experience. Okay, but beyond that, my hope is to go on like some very dear friends of mine that are now in a big meeting in the sky and graduate successfully. You know, that's my hope. There's a guy, uh, Mike, same, died last year, and was a very close friend of mine, worked for me, was in my home group, and, uh, he got cancer and died a month later, and knew he was dying. And, uh, I'll never forget it, you know, if you just told him there's 12 simple steps you gotta do and you won't have cancer, he'd have done it. split, you know. And, uh, but he went on. I mean, he was he was calmer than his family through all of it. You know, I mean, it just amazed me. You know, these, these are my heroes. People like him, people like Estes, people like, you know, all the old-timers that have gone on. And, uh, you know, but it's not just them. It's the new people coming in behind us. You know, it's getting to see the lights come on. You know, that's my hope is to stick around and see that happen some more. To see people come alive. You know, this is this is where dead people come to life, okay? That's what happened for me. And it is the joy of my life to get to see that happen. Uh, you know, next year, I hope everybody comes back and bring a newcomer. You know, uh, everybody needs to stick around for some Jenga. I'm talking about, you know, I had fun. I mean, you know, that's what I'm saying. Because I'm happy on the inside, man. At Lacey Paul this year, i got to share this. I have got to share this. All right, some of y'all are not experienced with Jenga. Uh, some people say it's of that young people's crap that doesn't need to happen. But uh, I, there, there was this one guy, I forget his name. I ain't going to say his name because so that will not be right. But he knocked it over. I had to give him a lick. And I've never seen the priest, smack jitters as bad. As a, I'm talking about dude just being over, oh,
1: dude, get it over
0: you with. Know, and I, I was laughing so hard I about couldn't hit it. And then he turned around and knocked it over again and went through the same thing again. And I mean, there's like such joy in my heart. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it, like it, it just don't get any better than this. I mean, this is a life I've always dreamed of. You know what I mean? Like, like, how can you have more fun? Uh so anyways, y'all need to stick around for that. We're gonna have a another fire and all that, you know, burn but, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and close with a a little story that won't take two seconds, but there was one of these guys that I talked about going on to the big mission, this guy his name was Aisle. And there's a few people from Benton here probably remember him, but he was this short Old man when I got sober, and he was one of these old guys that that had this deal and lived a spiritual life and he'd run up to you when you come to the door and give you a big hug and say, "Man, I'm glad you're here." and when he first did that, I was like, man, what Whoa, you know, I didn't come here for all that, but he uh anyways, I was about a year and a half sober or something like that. All my buddies were going to prison and dying. I'm mean, in here and no, I Anonymous. I've worked the steps. my life has gotten so much better. I'm trying to work with, with sponsees, but nothing seems to be working. They're still going back out. And I was sharing this thing, you know, what the hell? You know, why am I here? Why did I get to get sober? Everybody else is dying. You know, what, I can't even help these people, you know, which I understand now is just an ego issue, but, but, uh, but anyways, I was, I was really frustrated, really wondering what my real purpose here is. And he pulled me inside after to me, he said, Daniel,
1: you are here.
0: Because God has a plan and a purpose for your life. So make it count. And that's all I got. Thank you.